Large trials have shown that hydroxyethyl starch increases the risk of death, kidney injury and bleeding. So why does a European medicines agency still allow their use? I'm Helen MacDonald, Analysis Editor for the BMJ, and to discuss that question, I'm joined today by Christiana Hartog, a lecturer in intensive care medicine at Jena University Hospital in Germany, and one of the authors of a new analysis paper now available on thebmj.com. Christiana, I wonder if you could start by um, reminding us, for those um, doctors among us who may have forgotten, what hydroxyethyl starch solutions, or HES as you refer to them in this article, are? Yes, thank you, Helen. These are plasma expanders, and uh, these are used to uh, give to patients who are in need of intravenous fluids be it uh, during operations or in an emergency setting when you see the drippers being put on or in the intensive care unit where they suffer from hypovolemia and need an expansion of plasma volume to keep the hearts beating and the, and the organs perfused. And until recently, um, as some controversy about these starches has emerged, what were they licensed by the regulatory authorities to actually treat or deal with? So they were introduced in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s for what people then believed to be hypovolemia, plasma expansion and hypovolemia, and that hasn't changed. That's still valid today. They have been on the market for such a long time that at the time when they were introduced, uh, there was really no need for evidence rigorous evidence for benefit and harm that we today consider necessary. And then the newer starches, as they have come along, how have they been licensed? Well, this is true for all old licensures, all drugs that have been on the market before the uh, setting into effect of the more rigorous uh, rules requiring phase one, phase two, phase three studies, all these have been just put on the market with very little or with no evidence. And all newer uh, solutions, which are just a little modified, a little changed, a little more modern, they have just been added on to these old approvals. I see. And you describe in your article that evidence has been emerging for some time that there are downsides to these starches um, and that they might outweigh the benefits. Can you talk us through what the concerns and the balance of benefit and harm is? Yes, right. When people started to use them, they, they were not really aware of the potential for increased bleeding or renal failure uh, or even mortality that have come up in, in, in more recent trials. Uh, but there has been over the years, and we're talking now about a time span of about 40 to 50 years, there have been some observations which have pointed to this direction. So uh, when uh, about six or seven years ago, the first critical care trials were done 
with large numbers of patients and with very long follow-ups, like three months follow-ups, which is long in, in, in this kind of context, then suddenly these, these harmful signals came up and basically uh, starches like all synthetic colloids impair coagulation. They make you bleed more profusely. They, 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 they uh, impair clot formation, so the clot is weaker and dissolves more rapidly. So there's more like oozing of wounds. Uh, it's like uh, it's it's like a bleeding disorder. Actually, it's been called acquired von Willebrand's syndrome, which is a depletion of coagulation factors. And the second big problem with all synthetic colloids and starches is that they are treated by the body as foreign substances, and they are uh, metabolized and excreted through the lysosomal pathways like garbage so that cells pick them up, the macrophages pick them up and have little vesicles inside the cells uh, and there are no enzymes inside the cells to break down these products. Uh, so this can add up to uh, storage in organs like uh, the liver or the spleen or the bone marrow and even manifest as organ dysfunction, liver failure, or a failure of bone marrow in terms of anemia and so on. So this is quite a concern. And if the patients who receive these solutions are sick, like sepsis patients or patients in the intensive care units, and if they receive a larger dose, then this uh, this leads or this may lead to an increased mortality. More of them die. This is a long-term effect with, with a certain latency, so you can only pick it up if you have this kind of long follow-up in clinical trials. I see. And so if not for licensing purposes, what was the impetus behind these trials? Was this ITU doctors questioning whether there might be harm with these medicines or trying to compare them to other fluids to work out the best way to resuscitate their patients? Well, the largest round actually of large critical care trials that eventually led to the new assessment by the European Agency and, and the FDA, uh, these large rounds actually were triggered by accident. The, the first of these trials, uh, the German trial, actually was designed to try and prove that if you use these solutions, you would uh, could you would treat sepsis patients better, and uh, less of them would die. That was what we believed at that time, because we had been told by. Um, many of the companies and, and opinion leaders and, and the medical literature was full of this, that if you use these colloids, you were doing a good thing for the patient. And, and the first trial was set out actually to prove this in a, in a randomized control fashion. Tell us a bit about those modern trials. What have they found? Mm. So the other studies, uh, they... Actually, they showed uh, they had similar safety the similar safety signals. They showed 
all of them showed that uh, patients had increased risk for renal failure requiring dialysis. And all of them showed that they had bleeding problems and more patients, uh, significantly more patients required blood products and more blood products. And the two sepsis studies showed increased mortality. The intensive care study did not show this. Um, but this is also dependent on the dose, and they used actually very little of the starches uh, in the cumulative dose. Uh, I would put it differently. I would say that all studies on HACE that used a large sample size, looked at patient-relevant outcomes, and had a longer follow-up, they all showed these concerns. Um, and as a result of those trials being published, what happened? The um, German uh, regulatory authority, the so-called BFARM, uh, uh, went to the European medicines agencies, which is the European authority, and asked, formally asked for a reassessment of starches uh, to, to look again at the, at the uh, licensure of this product. And this triggered the European process, uh, which started at the beginning of 2013. And what, what did the European regulator find? Um, they, they, this, this process took about uh, 10, 10 months, and they had meetings with the firms and with experts, and uh, they, they set up this committee, and this committee came to the conclusion uh, in, in June of 2013 that the evidence was such that the risks of harm outweighed any benefit that starches might have, and they recommended that starches be suspended totally, completely for all indications. And how did the Americans handle the situation? The FDA, the American Regulatory Authority, um, had uh, also re-evaluated starches and had black-boxed them. They said that starches should no longer be used in the intensive care unit, and they had already put in a warning for increased coagulation in cardiac surgery into place about 10 years ago. So these two now add up to uh, a restriction not to use it in intensive care and sepsis patients and a restriction for use in cardiac surgery. So it felt like a line was drawn under things. But in your article, you write that that wasn't the end with the European regulator. And there's a good timeline in the article people should refer to for detail. But essentially, the manufacturer appealed, and at the same time, the UK urgently pulled starches, which inadvertently triggered a second re-evaluation at the EMA. And that second EMA process allowed starch to stay on the market for some restricted populations, and that's the decision that you disagree with. We cannot really understand how they could be convinced by such poor evidence, by such badly done trials, by the lack of, of any proof for safety, that it would be still safe to give starches in surgery. Just, just consider you have a substance that 
impairs bleeding and you are still allowed to use it, especially for patients with hypovolemia from bleeding, that is, it, it just does not make sense. And the regulator has also called for further studies and research to be done to answer some remaining questions. What is it that they want to see happen? Uh, They want now the kind of studies that we have been doing in intensive care, like the three studies we have been talking about in the beginning. But we are somewhat concerned about the ethical justification for such trials. Uh, We know that their side effects, they are not limited to intensive care. This can happen equally bleeding in the emergency room or patients undergoing major operations. Uh, So we find it very difficult to ask patients to be randomized into a trial where they might be given a drug or a medication, a fluid that has been proven disastrous in intensive care patients and sepsis patients. Uh, The question really is, uh, is it still necessary to do these trials? And the other question is, if you want good trials in these patients, you need a much larger number because the overall risk for dying or for renal failure may be lower in these less sick patients. And somehow I cannot believe this is going to happen. Uh, Experience has shown that in other uh, settings with other drugs and similar problems that uh, the manufacturers have always come up with safety studies with low quality and the agency has no structure in place to really uh, judge uh, the quality of evidence that they are being shown. I think this is a very, very big concern. And what do you see as the way forward from here, Christiana? What would you like to happen? Uh, that's a that's a tough question. <laughs> Personally, I would first of all like to have a kind of moratorium on the use of starches. They are not necessary. The intensive care trials have shown that if you are perfectly able to resuscitate and to treat patients in an adequate manner with salt solutions alone, and you will not harm them in the way that starches will do. So we do not need them. There is no benefit ever having been proven for patients by using starches. We should abolish them altogether. And we should not ask for phase four studies in patients, but if there are still people who believe that we need colloids, that we may need starches, then they should go back to the drawing board. They should do studies in models, experimental studies, showing us what the benefit is and then go on from there. I'm pretty sure they will not go beyond the experimental stage. I think if starches were a new drug with a new approval process, first time it was kind of offered to the agencies, they would not receive any approval. That's the kind of evidence that is out there. 
You've been listening to Christiana Hartog talk about hydroxyethyl starch solutions for use as volume expanders and the EMA's decision-making process in allowing these to remain on the market. For more details, read the analysis article Concerns on Use of Hydroxyethyl Starch Solutions, now available on thebmj.com.